What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today is the day that what if Marvel's Disney Plus series has debuted, and we got a little bit to talk about. So upon seeing this, first of all, um, the first episode basically brings you into the whole Captain Carter what if saga, whereas it's kind of like, of course, the flip of the switch where we we replace the storyline of Steve Rogers with Peggy Carter. Now, if anybody is not familiar with the What If series, it's pretty much a Marvel comic uh, series that was brought out in the 1980s, late 70s, 1980s, where they would give you uh, alternate realities as to some, uh, I guess, some of the bigger events in Marvel comics. But what if they were switched with either a certain person or a or maybe like something else took its place? Like, say, for instance, if the Silver Surfer had picked up the Infinity Gauntlet or saying, for instance, if um, if T'Challa was picked up by Yondu, uh, by the Ravagers and then precluded to be a Ravager then also joining the Guardians of the Galaxy in that type of effect. So it's sort of like a switch in roles. But the first one with uh, with Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers flipping the switch and playing their alternate roles gives us a little bit of a different perspective as to how we can see this story playing out. So when we look at it, you know, we all know the story. If For those of us that have watched the Captain America series or better yet have even read Captain America comics for numbers of years. We all know the backstory that basically Howard Stark uh, had developed the super soldier program and his first recipient, quote unquote, first recipient, because I say that blindly because there may have been other experiments out there until they finally got the perfect dose out there for Steve Rogers. But he was, quote unquote, the first recipient. And upon the super soldier program, was able to heighten his senses, heighten his strength, and put him out there in order to battle Nazi Germany, which then in turn, because of Red Skull's emergence, Hydra's emergence, Steve Rogers then continues on to fight in this saga um, to where we all know how that story ends where Steve Rogers is pretty much in the plane and he kisses his little necklace and he dives into the ice for the next, what, 70 years. So in looking at this timeline, let's flip the switch. You know, so we have an interesting perspective in which the watcher, Uatu, which I think is marvelous that that's even being put out there. The fact that what if as a series is being put out there is also just that much more phenomenal for a lot of us that have read comic books early on in like the 1980s, when you see those what if books, the fact that there's a what if series is automatically going to blow your mind because we're looking at it as the fact that this, this is crazy. Like, like I had a, I had a podcast maybe like I'd say 11 episodes ago where I was talking about how we were getting spoiled. We were getting spoiled by the fact that all these series are being put out and it, it's amazing to see I mean, it's, it's great to see tenfold how exactly this is this is just conjuring up all these old feelings, all these nostalgia feelings and everything like that. You know, it's not 
in the effect of where I watched Transformers as a kid and then saw the movie for the first time. It's that I read a lot of comics in the 1980s into the early 1990s. And I would have never dreamt that most of these comics would have been adapted into either series or movies in a certain fashion that made them almost, you know, alive, you know, in that effect. But to get into this series, um, the interesting thing in which how this how this takes place, because everything happens so fast because the episode is only maybe around like 20 minutes, I'm going to say 20, 23 minutes. Right. And it is the perfect blend. And, I, and I'm going to say this here because um, Marvel and DC have have utilized ways to um, make their animation that much more heightened. You know, DC has their own way of doing things and they are like goats at, at doing their animation for their characters in the comic book series. DC animation, of course, is like top tier. Right. So Marvel has struggled a bit in the fashion of doing a lot of their animation. It's almost been seen as childish. It's been seen as uh, campy, a little bit too silly. But in looking at this series, I'm going to put it up there with and, and no, people are going to remember this. There was an X-Men anime series that was borrowed upon maybe around like 10 years ago. I believe that the episodes are still on Netflix or they just they just pop up on Netflix recurringly. So there was a Wolverine one, an X-Men one, and I believe there was a Blade one. Okay. So they had these uh they had this anime way of doing Marvel. And all these episodes came out dope and they only did it one time. It was like it was like a tease. Like you got a little bit of it. You might have got like 10 episodes, might have got five. I think out of the Blade one, the Wolverine series was probably the most fire. And that came upon as like something that was like something new. Like this is a new way I can look at a comic book. So this has to be uh, with the What If series, the comic uh, style, the animation style in which this is done. I never thought I would see Marvel heroes being blended with like Tokahatsu type uh, mech animation and then blended into one. So when we get into the series, everybody knows the story where Steve Rogers, of course, is about to get into the chamber. Howard Stark is sitting behind the buttons and everything like that. But in this what if series, the scenario is turned on its head because Somebody, of course, infiltrated probably like a little like Hydra splinter cell is pretty much about to blow this motherfucker up. He's already heard about the operation and they want to they want to cancel this shit before it's even started. And. Peggy Carter sees. The gentleman that's about to, you know, about to tear up the operation, but his detonation only gets what so far. Steve Rogers then sees Peggy in trouble. Steve Rogers just does what Steve Rogers does. He acts exactly like he does before the super soldier serum as he did in the movie, as he do, as he's done in the comics. So he's always had that will to, you know, put his best foot forward and he ends up getting shot in the process. <laughs> so 
they realize with all the detonations that have happened that they only have one shot at doing this. Uh, they're begging for Howard Stark to jump into the machine. He's like, fuck no. I'm the inventor. I'm the only one that knows how to push the buttons. Peggy just sees the opportunity to just jump in the chamber herself. Howard Stark then puts, uh, pushes the button. Boom. We get our first, our first super soldier in this, in this alternate reality. And it happens to be Peggy Carter. Now, if we're talking about the 1930s here, a female being notarized as a soldier is going to be looked upon as different. And they actually touched on that in the series. So she has to report to her higher command and, you know, they feel as though they fucked up because a woman was the first one to receive the super soldier serum as opposed to a man. And they slight her and they basically don't acknowledge her and the skills in which she has. And then, but Peggy, of course, is out there to prove them wrong. To be honest, I mean, Peggy could have just like wrecked shop the entire time and just like kept the super soldier serum for herself, not did anything for the government because pretty much I'm looking at the fact that like, who's going to stop her? She's got an objective out there to basically dismantle Hydra. But the thing is, who in the United States government is going to stop her? And upon getting her, getting her powers and everything like that, she's she's kind of new to it and everything like that. And I often have to remember that British humor is dry. <laughs> so it's not generally unless you like that shit. Like like I spent time in Milton Hall when I was in the military. Some of some of their jokes, you're not generally going to get. I mean, shit. <laughs> but she, she's quirky enough to make it happen. And the action sequences that follow are absolutely fire. So upon Peggy getting her powers, who does she have to release? But Bucky Barnes and the rest of this old Steve Rogers crew. That's her first assignment. And it ends up being that ends up being her her backup crew for this whole brigade. And essentially, Howard Stark has plans for Steve Rogers as well, even though he was going to be the first recipient of the super uh, soldier serum. The plan for him <laughs> was to give him almost like a mech, like he's almost Robotech. He's in like this mech suit that's pretty much indestructible. And he's almost, uh, I guess, like the sidekick to Peggy Carter. But he's just in this Iron Giant type suit. And, of course, they're going throughout all these missions until they finally get to the Red Skull. The Red Skull, of course, has already um, stolen the Tesseract, just like he did in the uh, Captain America movies, where Peggy then found the chance to get the Tesseract back gives it to Howard Stark and that's how he enables the powers for the suit. Kind of like how he did for the first prototypes of um, the Iron Man suit. And then Tony Stark then inhabited all those plans and pushed that forward in order to make, you know, the Mark one, the Mark two, the Mark three, the Mark four. So in this aspect, everything's kind of like falling in line exactly kind of like how either um, the first Captain America movie is. And you see all those subtle hints, of course, from Howard Stark and how he pretty much got his technology started to get 
the Iron Man projects in full effect. You see it all circulating. But initially, the the point of uh, the point of conflict that that pretty pretty much uh, builds this episode to a T is that she has to confront the Red Skull at some point in time. They um, the Third Reich and Nazi Germany has realized that Peggy Carter is too much of a of a threat, and now they feel as though they can't win the war. Red Skull, of course, has other plans. He's already used the Tesseract to open up that door and bring an interdimensional beast in to be its champion for Hydra. And Peggy is the only person that can stop her with the help of Steve Rogers and Bucky and the crew. So, you know, within this final battle, Red Skull has accomplished his goal. He's opened the door. And an octopus squid type monster is coming through this motherfucker. Now, the first thoughts to a lot of comic book heads, as soon as you see tentacles within a Marvel setting in this universe, is that you're thinking Shumagorath. Oh, my God, it's Shumagorath. Absolutely not. Okay, for anybody out there, that was not Shumagorath. No way whatsoever. Because... Shumagorath is somebody who feeds off of the multiverse. There's no way this squid is just coming in here and just like knocking over bodies and everything like that. Shumagorath is eons beyond as far as power scale is concerned and would not be sitting there waiting for a door that the Red Skull opened up. And notably, as soon as this squid comes through the door, grabs Red Skull, murks him immediately. So once again, we, we go through we, we go we, we go through the process of of Red Skull dying, <laughs> you know, just like he did in the original Captain uh, Captain America series. Well, essentially, he didn't because he ended up being a uh, almost like a a champion of Volmir and the the giver of the Soul Stone. But it was like oh, we're getting rid of villains already, so. Yeah, in that sense, he's he's pretty much out of here. But Peggy had other plans. And in in throughout this battle with Peggy and whatever this octopus interdimensional creature is, she secures a sword. And the first thought that comes comes into my mind, Marvel Comics lore, Captain Britain, because she is sitting there with the with, with the UK Union Jack. Uh, flag on her chest is that she just grabbed Excalibur. Could be a possibility. But and the thing is, this thing is cutting through this motherfucker like butter, so it's got to be Excalibur. Captain Britain, Excalibur, it all makes sense. So ultimately, the only way by force is to get this thing back through its little wormhole. And the only person that can push it in is Peggy. And Peggy, with all her strength, is pushing this motherfucker back in. And she goes in with the creature the wormhole closes. So it's not the quintessential Steve Rogers uh, crashing in the ice and going away for 70 years. This is Peggy going into a wormhole within another dimension, killing some type of interdimensional beast. And then popping out 70 years later with the help of none other than Nick Fury and Hawkeye, Clint Barton. 
to where she when she asked for Steve Rogers. I'm pretty much sure he already perished. And then again, I'm looking at it and I'm like, she has no idea that now she's the first Avenger. And this is the start of the Avengers initiative. And this starts this other alternate reality. But we got to realize the chain of connectivity that's pretty much happened going forth. So when we when we saw the ending of Loki and the appearance of Kang the Conqueror, who then pretty much told everyone about the multiversal war, discussing the fact that there are mirror images and parallel dimensions of every single character within the Marvel universe that has a different story or better yet, another variant of themselves. So now we're pretty much going through this whole channel, not necessarily looking at what ifs for exactly for what they are, it's pretty much a conduit into telling you the storylines of the other variants that were put out there. So it's perfect timing that we got this Loki series with all these variants showcasing that there are variants of every single character. And then we go into this what if series to see the storylines and the battles that most of the variants had to go through in the first place. Some that the TVA just felt that they didn't want to get involved with or just let them go about their lives or anything like that. They weren't necessarily in Kang's plans. But it's perfect connectivity. It's exactly what Marvel was trying to do. And this is something that they do better than anybody. I mean, if only we got <laughs> that type of connectivity out of DC. Oh, my God. I, I wish. I'm dreaming for that day. But essentially, with the next few episodes that are, that are going to go forth... It's going to showcase a lot of things that may happen. And, and if the multiverse is at play, a lot of these characters that we see within this animation, uh, animated series may pop up somewhere down the line. You know what I'm saying? So when we look at the fact that there's going to be an episode where uh, T'Challa is pretty much Star-Lord because it was him that got picked up by the Ravagers. And it was him that, that constructed the Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time. Or, you know, this whole storyline with Peggy Carter. You know, you're going to see probably within the multiversal war, because we know that there's uh, tons of specific variants with Kang, who's going to be the ultimate villain of uh, the, the big bad of phase four, phase five going forth. So if we're going to discuss the multiversal war, we're going to see other variants of a lot of our favorite characters that are put out there. Notably Kang himself. But ultimately in the end, and especially in the Spider-Man series, because that's the hint exactly as to how this is going to push forward. Because if, if, if wormholes start to open and the multiverse is at play and there's tons of Peter Parkers out there, I mean, we've already seen how that's kind of played out animated with uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the introduction of Miles Morales, because this is the reason that you see all these parallel dimensions exactly for what they are. But if they play into the bigger game as to how this these phases go forward, why the Eternals are finally like at arms and waking up, uh, specific tools and weapons that might be needed in order to uh, fight Kang in the end of all of this. 
you have to know like the backstories of most of the variants that are pretty much out there because it might be the means as to them showing up later on down the line, regardless if this is an animated series. But thank you guys for tuning in. This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice. This is the Facts Project. Thank you for supporting small podcasts, independent podcasts. And please, please, as I, as I always mention in a lot of my podcasts, please do yourself a favor and contribute to independent comic book creators. It's great storylines out there. Go to Kickstarter. You can research a lot of these great storylines for yourself and have fun with it. But this is a facts project. James Grandmaster Facts Voice. We are out. Mm-hmm.